Welcome one and all to the Movie Guys. Paul Preston here for another TMG interview. I am joined by Mary Gent, frequent contributor to the pages of the movieguys.net, now appearing physically to help me with a great interview today. 2021 marks the <laughs> 30th anniversary of the uh, legendary music documentary Madonna, Truth or Dare. The follow-up documentary, Strike a Pose, revisited the seven male dancers from Madonna's Blonde Ambition Tour to examine what happened to them after the tour and the madness ended. To celebrate Truth or Dare's milestone, Strike a Pose is getting a re-release via virtual cinema on May 21st. So please welcome to talk about it, Ryers Vaughn, who co-directed the film with Esther Gould and one of the Blonde Ambition dancers in the center of it all, Kevin Stay. Thank you for coming. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, let's get right to it with Ryer, because of course this film uh, was born out of a previous film. So what inspired you to pick up the phone and examine the lives of the dancers who are part of this pop culture and music moment? Yeah, well, like you say, it's a pop historical uh, film, Truth or Dare. So the short answer is that a great film from 1991 and a, especially a great group of great men uh, inspired Esther and me to revisit them and hear their stories all these years later. Um, and, and we were fascinated by Truth or Dare when it came out. I was only 11 years old when I first saw it in cinemas in Amsterdam. So it was this look into this world where everything was possible and it was so fun loving and bold. Um, and I was also 11, just want to put it out there, right? Mary as well, we were all 11. <laughs> Excuse me. So was I. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Forever 11. <laughs> And, and um, then when we reached out and, and heard about uh, their real stories, but also finding out that so many people around the world were looking for them, talking about them, because, well, basically they had inspired so many people to, in a way, be, be, be yourself and express yourself. And that was the starting point for, for Strike a Pose. And of course, we uh, learned that there was so much more to it than we knew uh, when we started out. And, and every time we spoke to one of the dancers and to Gabriel's mother, Sue, because Gabriel passed away in 1995, but Sue uh, told his story, we were just blown away by, well, all of it. They're a very special man. I was Kevin and we're all the three, we're the same age. So we, went, we weren't 11. Um, in when the film came out, I was 20. So it was at that point, I had already had, you know, I was living with two gay men. One was a drag queen, one was gay from that I knew from grade school. My whole life was blown apart by this film because it was so bold. And I saw it at the theater and I remember thinking, this just changed everything. And it was so well done. Um, Alex did a wonderful job with the film and, but also forget, I mean, it wasn't about Madonna. It was, who are these other people, right? So who are these dancers and these backup singers that really, Kevin, like really spoke to all of us. Um, so for me, that film was always iconic. Uh, so when Strike a Pose came out, I was so happy that someone found them. Like, where are these men, right? And so Ryer, I went to 
one of the premieres at, uh, I think it was the New Art. Um, and Kevin, you were there with Carlton and Luis. So I was there for the Q&A. I guess this is for you, Ryer. Who, who did you start with? Who did you find first? Um, Esther and I um, actually reached out to all six uh, dancers and to, to Sue Troopin almost at the same time. Um, and we wrote them, well, we wrote them very carefully written, very carefully written letters because we wanted to make clear in that first letter that this was not a film idea at that point about Madonna or even about Truth or Dare, but it was about them. It would be about them. And we reached out to see if we could meet. So we we just said that we would be in the US and would love to meet and talk about this film idea we had. Um, and and um, I remember that Kevin might have been the very first one who responded. Um, with, <laughs> That he was open to talking uh, to us, which which was which was different from saying yes, I want to be in your documentary film, which did of course not exist at that point. And then from there on, step by step, and it took us uh, over a year before we had talked to all six of them and to wow. Sue, uh, Gabriel's mom. So yeah. and and it was very different for each of them. Kevin can explain, of course, much better, but some were enthusiastic about the idea because it had, had been such a long time and, and it felt good to um, talk to it about, to, to us about it. Um, others were more, uh, were holding back a bit more. I think mostly Jose and Luis because um, they had been approached many, many times before because they had been so close to Madonna for quite a, quite some years and felt like, oh no, not again. And, <sighs> but in the end, they all decided to be a part of it. And, and I know for sure now that they all feel good about doing that because uh, a lot happened in reconnecting and reliving um, what happened all these years before. Was oh. there any part of the, the film that uh, eluded you? Was there a part you wanted to explore or examine mm. or people you wanted to talk to who you couldn't get that's always an interesting part of a documentary I think you set up with this plan and oh, there are roadblocks then you have to creatively sort of bob and weave well we definitely had creative roadblocks um, uh, but, <laughs> but mostly in weaving uh, this this story about seven exceptional uh, men into one film um, and we really wanted to make it a film that was not a film for Madonna fans um, but something that would reach a larger audience and connect to more people. Um, so we had a hard time doing that just because it's complicated to edit a film like that. Um, we never had the idea to make Madonna a part of the film because it would have been a completely different film if we would have. Um, so it was really about these guys and their story and about overcoming shame and, and accepting yourself and showing yourself to the world and be to be proud. Uh, we did reach out to Madonna in a very late stage of filming because we thought maybe, maybe there can be some kind of reunion, um, a reunion scene maybe even, 
um, but she never responded to that. Uh, and, and again, this was not something that we regretted because we were really fine with, with the exceptional stories um, of the seven dancers. You made a beautiful film. Thank um, you so much. A really beautiful film. And you talk about acceptance. And so that uh, we're going to weave Kevin in here because I want to talk about the, uh, the dynamic between Evan. all the dancers. Oliver is very forthcoming as being the, uh, the one straight dancer in the troupe and how he had a different opinion of gay people before he got involved in the tour and came out with yet another opinion as if he had evolved. And uh, that's good to see. And I was curious how that happened. Uh, Kevin, did you make any attempts to sort of say, hey, maybe we got to bring this guy into the fold and make him feel comfortable? Or was it, it just, did it happen naturally? Uh, was it just humanity that made it happen? What, what was your relationship with him in that respect? Well, after we slept together, he just said, it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you little queen. <laughs> um, uh, I think... Uh, I think, well, me and me and Oliver kind of both had the same sort of experience where, you know, I was, I was questioning at the time, I'd actually just broken up with my girlfriend and I fooled around with some guys, but I had no experience in the romantic department, just sort of a, I had a sexual attraction, didn't know that romance would ever even be on the table. And so I think for both of us, exploring the world and seeing the world and this whole rainbow of community um, of people who were literally just being themselves and they were gay and they were lesbian and they were trans, we didn't define who they were, that opened up both our eyes. Um, I know Oliver got to understand that, uh, you know, he was very confronted at first because Jose and Luis and Salim were relentless in uh, torturing him about being straight and just, I mean, in a way Terrible. that only only New York queens can. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and he also saw Gabriel and I more quiet, more reserved, not as flamboyant as the guys from New York, and also constantly kind of taking his side and defending him and sharing and involving him in our lives and come with us. If they don't want you hanging out with them, we love you anyways, come on, hang out with us. He saw that it wasn't about how you act. It's just you, it's part of your personality. It's part of just a, a, a small aspect of who you are. And he really, he really got that on a very powerful level. And also that, you know, that we love him regardless of whether he's confronted by us or not. Since you just said that it was kind of your first experience as well as a gay man, did this tour kind of solidify that? Like, where were you at? Because you were young. I mean, we're the same age. So you were yeah. young back then. So what, what was that like for you? Uh, well, I was 19. Um, and I remember, you know, again, they were teasing me relentlessly too, because I was also very open about my questioning. Okay, you know? so you and were still questioning. You weren't out. I wasn't out at all because I didn't, it wasn't that I was out or in, I mm -hmm. didn't know. Um, I hadn't been around it enough to say one way or the other. I knew I liked girls still, I was still dating girls. Um, I just, and I kissed a friend of mine, he, would, he asked to kiss me, but back when I was 16, he asked to kiss me uh, and I was like, oh, okay, because whatever, I'm trying anything, whatever. And uh, we kissed and it was the most awkward, strange thing. I'm, it was nice, 
but it felt so weird and awkward. Like I was like, oh, I guess I'm not gay because this is totally weird and I'm not into this. And it took many years to understand that that was just because I considered him a friend and I wasn't really sexually attracted to him. And so it felt like kissing my brother and felt very strange and weird and awkward. And I thought that meant, oh, well, I, I guess I'm not gay. I, I may, maybe I like you know fooling around with guys, but I romantically, I don't know if I can have that relationship. So on tour uh, was actually the first time that I met somebody and kissed them and was like, oh i have feelings for this person also was that gabriel um, no <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> although i have feelings for gabriel they're not the yeah. same feelings gabriel had his you know he had a boyfriend already i already know his, his boyfriend everything um i love i love gabriel i don't know we've never you know nothing like, nothing like that um but i i kissed this guy in new york and then i was like <laughs> okay i i can see myself you know there's a term somebody came up with that they were like that you're bi-romantic or I know, it, it, it all sort of clicks for me. And also seeing everybody across the world and all these varieties of, of, of people, it gave me the freedom to say, I don't have to be this or that or this stereotype that I see on TV that's being represented in the media constantly, constantly, constantly. I thought being gay meant I had to be that or that's what would happen to me. and. Uh, once I got clear that I'm the only one who can say who I am or create who I am and be who I'm going to be, that I finally was like, oh, yes, this feels right. This is, this is, this is me. This is me. And I'm not a label. I'm not, it's just, it's just another aspect of me. One thing I didn't see was conflict creatively. Uh, in mm -hmm. either of these films and that was yeah. actually impressive first of all like the sexual dynamics of a theater troupe gay straight man we all know what's going on it's <laughs> yes. some, the high, it's a <laughs> high level emotion but uh yeah it, it was interesting to see behind the scenes of the film outside of some technical issues you never see the dancers arguing about oh you didn't do this or you missed that kick and da 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 you're the dance captain kevin so was there any of that that just was missed or was it a smooth sail as it as it looked I mean, even in Strike a Pose, you didn't meet and then go, hey, remember 30 years ago, you did they kick me in the face? Like it never, it just never came up. How, what was the it, it, there? It was not a smooth sailing at all. Um, <laughs> okay, that makes no, sense too. No, they, well, I would say they, let's say Jose and Lewis especially, did not want to be told what to do. Because they um, came they, from the ballroom culture, right? So it was like- Yeah, everything's a competition. Right, Everything's right. me over you. I'm- right father, mother, you know, yes. grand, whatever. I'm, House of, yeah. Yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. me against you. I'm this, this gang versus that, you know, that house. Like it's confrontational. And I'm a double Libra. So <laughs> everything's um, about no conflict. It's all gonna work. It's all gonna, you know, I'm balancing everybody's personalities and everything's gonna get along. Like I really go out of my way to not cause conflict. Um, uh, but I also have a great skill at making everybody do what I want and love what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and, and also make them think it's their idea that they're doing. <laughs> um, so that helped in this situation because then they got to feel like they were doing what they wanted and I was still getting what I wanted. And uh, it was not an easy road. And even now, when we got together all these years later, it's the same dynamics. They still don't want to be told what to do. And... <laughs> And I, on some level, I still kind of push myself to do what I want to do. 
Um, but I'm not, you know, I don't have the handle of dance captain and an associate choreographer. So I don't really have that authority in the background. Um, and so, yeah, that definitely caused some conflict, uh, you know, in the later, in the later iterations of our relationship. Um, but I think we all uh, respect each other so much now um, that we do listen on a different level. I mean, that's all I wanted during Striker Pose was, oh, God, these guys got to get together. They got to get together again. <laughs> right? Kind of waiting for that the whole yeah. movie. And then, but since that, uh, any reunion that happens in the movie, either naturally or maybe Briar orchestrated with the release of the film, have there been other reunions? And, and have you ever danced together again? I, I'm curious about that too. <laughs> yeah, there's been a few times actually. I mean, we, we all sort of jumped on board the sort of, you know, the film release tour. Like we really were, you know, in different countries together, uh, not all together all the time. Certainly three of us at a time, two of us, four of us. Uh, but one time we did, we were actually all together. It was in Amsterdam and we went on the late show, Ryan, was that then? On the late yeah. show. Um, and, uh, and we did the Vogue uh, choreography again. And we've done that a few times since in like small portions of us, like, I think we did the Good Morning America or something, me, Jose, and uh, and Salim, um, in a couple of different places. We kind of, re you know, reviewed that choreography. Um, you can find the full- Thank you. The six of them on YouTube uh, with The Late Show, which was the very first time they danced together again after all these years. Was that emotional? Uh, emotional? I mean, interestingly, I had just done the choreography uh, like a year earlier because I had given an award to Vince Patterson mm -hmm. and the piece I created, the whole show I created for him um, involved all these different pieces of different things. And so I actually took uh, the choreography from, from uh, the MTV Awards and, and, and remounted it uh, to, to share with people, um, not as Vince's choreography, but as part of his uh, like oeuvre and, and history. And, uh, and so it was really fresh for me. I don't know if it was emotional. It was just so much more emotional seeing my other brothers and being around them. That's where the real emotion came in. Um, it didn't feel so grand because the stage was like, you know, smaller than my, my bedroom. Um, it was tiny, tiny, tiny. We could barely move. and. I mean, I, I got a kick out of it, um, but uh, yeah, it was just it was just more emotional just being with them and walking the streets with them, and again seeing the world through each other's eyes. Ryer, how is your voguing? We haven't checked in with you to see how can you vogue. How it yeah, goes. Yeah, Ryer. You, you noted that I fell a bit silent, right? And <laughs> jumped in on it. That's the one thing you don't want to see me do or maybe there are more things no but we of oh, course, i want to see you do that oh it's i've done <laughs> I would give it. anything i would give anything for that we 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 called we called our film strike a pose which is of course a vogue related um expression and 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 i i mean of course there's so much about truth or dare and the blonde ambition tour that stands out um but i think voguing and of course, coming from the house ballroom scene, um, but the way it was brought into the world is is still a very awe-inspiring thing. Uh, and and I love the idea, idea or feelings behind it uh, and what it stands for. Um, but 
I'm not good at doing it at striking poses. <laughs> you know what? I did get emotional doing that. That number was, and I redid it. I did it with Rihanna for Fashion Rocks. And that was the first time I had done the choreography in, I think it was maybe 15 years later. So it was like 2005 or something, six. And doing that choreography with a whole other generation of dancers who had seen that choreography, grown up with that choreography and remembered it. And they were so moved by it and, and their ability to, and their opportunity to do it, like that they never thought they'd get to do that kind of choreography. That was really touching to see. All, that was kind of the first time I saw the impact that that our work had had on a, on a new generation of dancers. So I'm gonna segue into something because that it kind of has something, it has something to do with that is, and Ryer, you also included the scene in Strike a Pose is the moment that you are, Alex Kasashian filmed you at the Pride Parade in New York. For me, no matter how many times I've seen Truth or Dare, doesn't matter. I always makes me cry because, you know, as an advocate and a lover of gay men, I've buried so many. Um, but so Kevin, you were there, you were 20 years old. Was this A, your first pride parade? B, it was it was different, you know. I'd been I've been to all the prides. It was different back then, right? It was more serious light but serious and the moment of silence is, is is deafening if that makes any sense so how did that affect you at your age standing there amongst all of these beautiful humans during the middle of a plague being caught on camera for an iconic film uh, it was my first Pride Parade, um, and there was a full whirlwind going on in my head at that moment um, because I had never, I didn't even know Pride Parades existed. Um, and I had lived in Singapore prior to going to school at USC and really didn't have that much access to media. I didn't own a TV for years. And so, especially in Singapore where there was no, like, we don't have, AIDS doesn't exist here and there's no cases of anything here. Uh, being in that space and really getting the magnitude and gravity of of the situation and you could see you know people uh you know sharing their stories and being who they wanted to be and expressing themselves and also sharing you know people that passed and honoring people that passed um it, it was it was mind-blowing to me <clears throat> you know again los angeles i had i had never been to a pride parade there didn't know it was even going on um so seeing all this at once, I mean, I, my, it may seem like, it may have seemed like it was totally normal for me, like watching it, but I was absorbed. I was absorbed in this. And it was, it was really uh, a powerful moment for me realizing uh, that owning one's identity and sexuality on some level is a very political statement. Um, but also that there's power in doing it. Power, there's power in the declaration of, of saying who you are uh, and celebrating who you are. And you could see all these people walking the streets and just a crazy variety uh, of people um, shouting to the world who they are and that they're proud of who they are. 
it was very empowering and it gave me a lot of inspiration uh, moving forward uh, to be politically active and socially active and uh, and more outspoken uh, about who I am and, you know, and empower others to do the same. And also the power of showing it, I think, uh, both Ella Kashishin, the director of Tutor There and Madonna, to make that part of that film, not only the six gay guys who were on tour, but also moments like the mo moment of silence and remembrance during the gay pride um, and, and their stories. Also the, the remembrance of Keith Herring, a friend that Madonna had lost and not only Madonna, but shortly wow. before that. And there's so much in that film that even now makes a huge impression uh, on many people. Um, and and but if, if you realize like back then um, it, it was not shown that much uh, wasn't seen from this so I think it's so important to um, to show it and to have have this as have this documented as well. Agreed. Yeah, and to show it in you know 25 years later, revisit it all and strike a pose. So you 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 mentioned reuniting with the dancers as the film gets out there. Were there any screenings that were more meaningful than others? What was the uh, original run of the film like? I know you won some awards as well. Yeah, the film uh, premiered at the Berlinale, the Berlin Film Festival. And that was a moment we'll never forget um, because it was the first time that the dancers saw the film. Um, so it was, of course, exciting for all of us. Um, and it was very emotional, um, again, for all of us, but also for the audience. So I've never seen a Q&A actually like it, but people didn't really ask questions, but more explained how it had touched them and made them emotional. And, and, um, and I remember someone asking uh, all six of them to strike <laughs> and they did, and the, the crowd just went wild. Um, and it, it was really, I mean, I think Kevin is, again, he, he can explain what he saw that night, but they saw each other's story and they hadn't known uh, most of it. And of course, Gabriel not being there, but being a big part of the film and his mother. So yeah, that was a huge uh, happening for all of us. And then, I mean, I haven't been to all the screenings, um, but it, it was in, in at Hot Dogs in Canada. Kevin, Kevin was there. There was another very special... Uh, moments we were in New York uh, well it went all over the world which is such a special feeling and we're still very proud of that and and again that the film is still can be seen uh, five years after the premiere of course because of the 30th anniversary of Truth or Dare but it, it Strike a Post now has a re-release so in virtual cinemas it can be found again and, and that makes us really happy because it's it's something that we're very proud of. And you should be because it was beautiful. And for someone like me, I went by myself, I sat in the theater and as I'm trying not to do now, just, you know, you brought this beautiful, I mean, Kevin and Ryer, like, first of all, Kevin, you were, I don't even, I'm sure that you've been asked this question a thousand times, but you were part of something so huge and, and you probably didn't know it at the time, right? So to see, Ryer, you bringing these men back together, these, these men that were just dancers and yet 
we were so intrinsically involved in who they were, bringing them back together and then finding out the truth, right? Uncovering the truth, the stories of these men that we did not know that was happening during the filming, Kevin, is, was, I mean, and you presented it in such a way that it was like, it was holy almost. It was silent and beautiful and you gave them space and you held space for them. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, there is there is a decided difference in tone. I mean, we talked about this, Mary and I did as we were gearing up for this, that be, one is a music documentary and one is this soulful documentary about people. So it was a, it, it is a great job of, of getting inside these, these Kevin icons. Yeah, hey, Sid, you are. Sorry, Kevin. That's yeah, just sorry, what's, Kevin. That's just what's up. So, <laughs> you are. I, I, iconic. I mean, this was a, one of the biggest tours of all time, and you're super. Hands down. Did you? I mean, did you uh, hand? How did, did you handle it? I mean, I don't know. I might be like in therapy. I mean, I don't know. You know? <laughs> it's just outside of anything with your personal identity, just like you know the, the rush of every the people and the fans and the, the media and the whole thing uh or did you just take it in stride uh, because you had a family with you on the on the actual tour there was no real time to sit back and like celebrate ourselves um because we really didn't get that much information you know by the time the press was coming about out about the show in whatever city we were in we were already into the next city so we would hear little bits and pieces from, oh, Madonna would say a little something like, oh, now it's number, or the press, you know, Liz would come and say, oh, the hit song hit number one, yay. Well, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know what it meant. You're like, well, okay, great, yay, that's great. We have a number one song and we're on the road. Um, obviously there are tons of screaming fans and I never realized how popular she was until seeing these <laughs> hundreds of thousands of screaming fans. I, I was blown away, actually. I didn't realize at all she was on that level of fame and popularity. Of course, the number one song like that will do it. Uh, and a great show. But uh, there was no, for me, there was no sense of that it was about us at all. I mean, obviously there were signs, yay, and people recognized us. But on some level, even until Strike a Pose came out, I just always dismissed everything as it's about her. You know, it's about her and her job, her work, you know, her fame, her popularity. And so everything that came my way over all those years, compliments and whatnot, was more like, okay, a Madonna fan, I would brush it off. You know, and it wasn't until literally that night at Berlinale that everything clicked. And it was like this wave of, love and reassessment of all these years of compliments and, and comments and people coming to us and messages and that all of that was transformed and like, oh my God, that all was for actually for us. You know, not always, sometimes it was for her certainly, but it was like, wow, we are <laughs> so loved and so grateful. And the, I mean, seeing each other's stories up on the screen that we had never heard before, hadn't seen before, the love, the 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 suffering, the, the self judgment, the shame, the triumph. Uh, I mean, we were in. I mean, I, I was sitting next to Carl. And we were just we were in tears half the movie, but tears of joy. 
you know, finally kind of understanding each other's stories in a way that perhaps they would never share with us on a personal level. Um, because we didn't necessarily have that rapport, rapport after all these years. And of course, you know, Claire and, and, and Esther pulled so much out of us on such a profound, deep and personal, intimate level that we got to see each other in ways that we thought we knew each other. And suddenly we were presented with these, these brothers and friends that we thought we knew that, that we realized, oh, fuck, I don't know you at all, <laughs> do I? You're so much more than I ever gave you credit for. Um, I think we all looked at each other like, God damn, you all are fucking amazing people. <laughs> and we hadn't really given each other that opportunity to be that. Uh, even maybe after the reunion and everything, we still kind of kept them in a bit of a box until we saw each other's stories uh, presented that way. Um, it was an incredible experience. Like my heart just, you know, crumbled and exploded at the same time. <laughs> Uh, during that during that screening, so for thank us, you, <laughs> yes. But for us, for me, when I went to see Truth or Dare, I already loved Madonna and got in trouble for listening to her by my mother, of course, when I was a little girl. But um, <clears throat> you guys were the focus, and I think even like like you said back then, we were like, who are these people? Like, forget Madonna. Like, who are these? incredibly exciting and fun and eccentric and quirky and talented and beautiful and bold and brave people. So from the beginning, it was always about you guys, I think for most of us. And that's, that's like incredible and kind of unheard of. Like we were, Madonna was the side plate. You guys were the main, you know what I mean? Well, I, I think, I thank Alec for that. I think, yes. you know, I, I keep going back to Alec because this really is all his point of view yeah. and him being a gay man and, and, and being aware that our story is as important as hers um, and that there's, a, there's something that can be said and, and, you know, a truth that can be shared uh, in a way that no one's seen it before. Um, <laughs> it really is a, a big tribute to, to his, uh, tenacity and, and vision. Uh, obviously Madonna too, yes. She's the one who brought us all together. Her, her willingness to share diversity and to put forth a, you know, a, a dance ensemble that wasn't necessarily standard and, and to really elevate us up to the level of, of well, stars of our own movie uh, was also incredibly bold. And I'm not sure that anyone else you know, before or after has had the sort of the balls to really share, uh, you know, the diversity of our community and world that maybe hasn't had the opportunity to be shown and seen and, and, and revealed uh, in an empowered way. I think the artist with the biggest balls in the 80s is Madonna is a perfectly accurate sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I have a couple more questions because again, I don't want you guys here forever, but I did want to talk about something Mary and I were chatting. You want to ask like the time capsule question? Cause I love that. Uh, I know you love that question. So <laughs> watching truth or dare, right? It is like, it is a time capsule. And for us Gen Xers over here, um, there were no cell phones, right? Nobody was 
zero cell phones. And I am a, I mean, no, I don't, I don't, I won't go off on my own. I won't get up on the pulpit, but anyways, the, uh, what makes that film so incredible is to go back in time and to watch the audience. It's like being at like at a tent revival. It's, but with hundreds and thousands of people just absolutely 100% locked in and crying and just being right there. They're with you the whole time. Like that, I mean, Kevin, that must've been like, like breathtaking, you know? And especially because what Madonna did was she, her theatrical performance of, of that tour is, is unprecedented in my opinion. You know, she was telling a story um, and she brought it all over the world. And you couldn't tape it. You know what I mean? You just had to be part of it and be kind of hypnotized by the whole thing. And that is gone. (laughs) That's gone. So can you do that anymore? (laughs) I don't know that you can. I think there's something very powerful about both the performer and the audience being 100% 100% present uh, that engages sort of this energy back and forth uh, that's hard to replicate. Um, but I think even more so, not having cell phones or our other lives with us as we went made us a more powerful unit and group. We had no one but each other. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to call so and so back home. It was like, no, it was just us. Um, and I think that made us more cohesive and, and really that family that, that Manzana created for us, uh, really that aspect of it showed through on stage. And she also gave us, she and Vince, thank you, Vince Patterson, uh, the choreographer, co-director of the, of the show, um, really gave each of us moments to shine and share and, and, you know, like moments like, you know, keep it together where we all connected as a family, like like really got to see each other. Uh, I think it was very special. And if I don't know that the audience looking through their cell phone would see the intimacy of each of us looking at each other as we were dancing. And we knew it was the end of the show relating to her looking right in each other's eyes, hugging her. I don't know that if, if you're on your phone that you would get that relationship. And hopefully having that, that pr- presence uh, made a difference for them. It certainly did for us. And I've said the only other time I experienced that was that about five years ago, I went to see Neil Diamond, but that's just because everybody was 75 and didn't have phones. <laughs> but same thing, but they were locked on Neil, man. He had him in his, in the palm of his hand. It's because they mean, couldn't see. <laughs> that's true too. <laughs> Is he on stage? <laughs> that's Neil Diamond, honey. Oh, I like him. <laughs> I believe actually Madonna on her last tour, the Madame X tour, there was a theater tour and she asked people to hand in their phone. So no one in the room had a phone. And I believe it's it's because of this time capsule idea where it was just you in the room together and or in the stadium. Um, I don't know if it worked out like that, but that was the idea that I read about. Yeah, some artists have done that. I know that Jack White did that too, where he made everybody put their phones in like a little zip, like whatever this new technology is. 
and people that gave him blow black blow back and he was like i don't care you're here to see we're here to be we're here to experience something so yeah i think there's a lot of artists out there that kind of feel the same way well uh again the film is strike a pose and i'll give more info on that in a second but i always wrap up these conversations with unless mary there's anything else you wanted to i just have one i'm sorry Lay I just on, have, one last question for, it's for ryer so mm -hmm. ryer um this was your first direct, this was your directorial debut, yes? Yeah. And so clearly you were so passionate about this subject matter to, to push you through. And were you satisfied with what came out of your beautiful film? Yes, I was. Good. <laughs> I think, I think it's, 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 magical to make a film and feel so like you say passionate about it and about the people in it and doing it together with Esther who's an experienced filmmaker and I always had in mind if we can get across to just one person what we feel about them and their story and about what this is all about then I'm the happiest person in the world and it turned out that there were many more people than just one who got it and that was the feeling that we had on that first premiere night in Berlin but but also afterwards all, all these years actually that people have reached out to tell us what Strike a Pose has meant to them so I think that's the best feeling that anyone can have and and I'm 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 proud and happy but also because that story is still out there and I think I just want as many people as possible to hear about it and to see it and to, well, experience what Esther and I have experienced in making it. Um, and it's, it's, well, there's something to be seen, I believe. And yes. who is your editor on a documentary? Always shout out to the editor. Shout out to the editor, definitely. And her name is Dorit Finken and she's a Dutch editor and well, she was amazing and, and, really helped us to build the film into the story it is it's always a massive juggling of content when you're a documentary editor so congrats to her uh but the last question i ask everybody who comes on a, a movie guys interview and it's kind of just switching uh taking a tangent entirely each of you at, at as you're inspired to tell me what is your favorite movie of all time <laughs> it's the worst question in the world it's the greatest question in the world it's the worst <laughs> she's right also I mean, <laughs> the torture. I want to break stuff. I'm like, are you joking? <laughs> the torture you're experiencing is accurate. Experiencing those is accurate. It's right on. The first movie that came to mind, which is not actually my favorite movie, but it's That's the first it. movie that came to mind. Whatever, it's off the top. Was Flash Gordon? <laughs> <gasps> it's not my favorite movie, but it's the it soundtrack is so good. It's stuck in my head. I don't know why. It's so kitschy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what's it's your favorite not, yeah. movie of all time right now isn't a wrong answer so there you go <laughs> ryer oh this is just the most horrible question ever and thank I'm, you I'm the first person to ask it to because um in bed with madonna or truth or dare no um <laughs> honestly i can't sorry it's okay don't feel bad i can't either i'm a lot just, of people some people I cheat mean, and give me like four <laughs> Citizen Kane or you know like you go to the classics or North by Northwest or how about this can we rephrase this Paul sure do you mind there's all what... sorts of cheating okay can we do this what was your favorite movie this year 
Has there been a movie this year? I mean, 20, <laughs> let's, let's say 2020. Let's say 2020, Kevin. 2020. Because oh, there was a lot of films. I, I know what mine is, but I'll let y'all go first. Well, actually, <laughs> That's even harder. I'll tell you mine, though, to jumpstart the conversation. It was One, okay. night, one night in Miami, Regina King's film about uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, Sam Cooke and Malcolm X and Jim Brown all meeting in a hotel room based on a play that the, the, the guys in that film acted that movie insanely well and made talk about huge topics seem conversational. I loved it. Mine was another round. Uh, Druk, uh, the Danish film with Mads Milkinson, directed by Thomas Vinterberg. And I pushed that film on everybody I knew because I thought it was the most beautiful film I had seen in it in ages and what a performance from all of them so that's mine i'm gonna i'm gonna totally agree on that that's really one of the best films i've seen in ages mm -hmm. and i've also seen uh quite a lot beautiful documentaries and one that should be seen is honeyland which is about oh i don't know the english word someone who makes honey beekeeper <laughs> A beekeeper mm -hmm. in Macedonia, but it's about so much more, and it's it's a really well-made film where a beekeeper, a woman, is followed through years and years, and then her world is teared upside down by new neighbors. But it, it this very small story tells you so much about the world we live in. So that's a beautiful film. Oh, I'm great. Gonna... Um, I don't know if I have, I can't even think it's of anything fine, else. I, all my movies, I know I, I'm not, I'm not a great movie watcher. I love big sound effects and sci-fi and fantasy and horror. <laughs> and like, I want to see the craziness, the drama stuff. I, I often skip just because I'm like, there's enough drama in my own life. I want to escape. <laughs> I don't need to see it in a movie. I, I could be touched by it, but you know, that has to be like prepared. I'm also sort of empathic and so if I go through watching a movie that's really heavy it will stick with me for days so mm -hmm. I have to like literally put time aside to like okay am I going to be in this mood for, <laughs> for two or three more days yeah well I, enjoy I uh, enjoy Mortal Kombat in theaters now. <laughs> it was I already thought it was horrible <laughs> All right, well, that wraps another uh, TMG interview. Follow us on Twitter at The Movie Guys, Facebook.com slash The Movie Guys, Instagram, the whole, all that nonsense for daily jokes and articles, media links, and more. Thanks to Kevin Stay and Ryers Juan. Thank you very much. Thank and you both. throw us uh, your plugs. What do you got in terms of uh, social or what's coming up? I'll, I'll plug the movie in a sec, but personally, you got anything? Ryer? Ayer? <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter, which is my first and last name, Reyerswan. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram or, well, on Instagram at, at Kevin Stay, on Twitter as That Rogue Romeo. Uh, you can follow my music at www.thatrogueromeo or at www.kevinstay.com. Uh, you do a search for Kevin Stay, you'll probably find me on lots of different platforms. Um, yeah, <laughs> I did. It all came up. Yeah, your website, yeah, the social. So I'm not on social, so sorry. <laughs> Follow what she's up to. There's plenty of archives of Mary's great writing, talking about films and stuff on themovieguys.net. And of course, filmmovement.com is where you can go to see Strike a Pose as of May 21st. And there's a 30-day trial. So if you just love movies, get on there and just check it out. You'll have a like a streaming subscription to everything they have there. Uh, and then it's like $5.99 a month. 
you haven't gotten movies that cheap so uh jump on board that and you can find everything we're up to uh, at the movieguys.net thank you very much appreciate it thank you, thank you so you. much Ryer. thank you kevin thank, thank you. you so much that was really nice thank you for your beautiful film